0: All right. I love it. Thanks for being with us this morning. I want to say hi to everybody who's at Jammy Church watching online. No shame. No shame at all. We'll see you next Sunday. Uh, how many of you, raise your hand if you are, could affirm this statement? Uh, A New Testament professor shared this statement with me. He said this, consider the possibility you might be wrong. (laughs) Raise your hand if if you could do that. Some of you can't do that. Some of you are like, I'm not wrong. Some of you approach the Bible, you approach life, you approach everything like, I'm not wrong, I'm never wrong. What I want to, as we begin this message, I want to just gently say, consider the possibility on this issue we're going to talk about today, whichever side you're, just consider the possibility you might be wrong, 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 wrong. And I'm praying that God would open, soften our hearts. It's a loaded topic today. We're in a series called Why, 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 Why Read the Bible, Why Pray. Today is Why Women in Leadership, Why Women Preachers, Why is the Evangelical Covenant Church we're part of, Why do we ordain women into the ministry? Why do we affirm the calling and the gifting of women? Because it's black and white in the Bible. I have been accosted on the street, believe it or not. You're the pastor of Ocean Hills. Don't you read the Bible? It's clear. Women are to remain silent in the church. God bless you too. So how we talk about this matters. You might disagree with with today's message. And, and, And that's okay. I have close friends we don't see eye to eye on this issue. But we still walk hand in hand. We're still friends. And I'm appealing to you this morning to say, I'm going I'm to be open to let the Word of God, not the pastor. Well, pastor says, forget what pastor says. What does Scripture say? That's what we're about, sola scriptura. It's really, where is it written? Where, where is it written? Today, I hope to show you that there is... Biblical support for women in leadership, for women teachers teaching men. And for some of you, this is like you're going to get up and walk out right now. I hope you'll stay. We have had men walk out of this church when we have women on the platform that are speaking and teaching. And it makes me sad, it grieves my heart, because I believe that Scripture actually supports the view that women can be in leadership, at the table, on the elder board, on the leadership team, preaching and teaching in the church. Do you know that a hundred years ago, Methodist preacher William Joseph Simmons and 15 other men climbed Stone Mountain, which is in Georgia, and they built an altar, and they set fire to a cross And it was there that they revived what is known as the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan. The KKK today believes that churches have fallen astray and are under the control of Satan. The KKK uses the Bible to support their view of racial prejudice, discrimination, and hate. They use Exodus thirty-three, sixteen; 16, Leviticus 20 24, Joshua 23 12 and 13, Deuteronomy 7 3, Psalm 144. It's right there in black and white. They believe white Christians are morally and spiritually superior to other races. They believe that the Old Testament's 12 tribes of Israel. They interpret the Scriptures that that represents the origin of the white race. And if you live during the time of the Civil War, white Southern churchmen, godly people who read their Bible that are following Jesus, white Southern churchmen, on elder boards, in churches all over the South, that during the Civil War, this is what they said. It's right there in black and white. Slaves, obey your masters. You know what else they would say? Slavery isn't political, it's biblical. How many times have I heard that in this culture? It's not political, it's biblical. Well, the slave owners said that too. In fact, here was another saying during the Civil War by Southern churchmen. To reject slavery is to reject the Word of God. So if you were for freedom, if you were an abolitionist, you were rejecting the word of God. That's how it was served up. So imagine being in the church and being taught that and being raised that way. Some of you have been raised that women are to be silent. You are not to teach a man. You are to submit to men always. So let's look at, Some scriptures. What's my point? My point is how we interpret the Bible matters. This is also a lesson on biblical exegesis, hermeneutics, historical context, all of these things. Interpret scripture and the lens, the way that we interpret scripture to understand the Bible. That matters. Because you sometimes read a passage. And it's right there in black and white. We're going to look at this today. But we have to dig deeper to understand the historical context. What did it mean to the first hearers in that situation, in that culture, in that place? That's part of deeper Bible study. And in light of that, what should or what might it mean for us today? We interpret the Bible by asking hard questions, not just having it kind of support or prove our narrative the way we were raised, the way that pastor so-and-so taught it. Well, pastor so-and-so might be wrong. In fact, I was taught in seminary that the root of all heresy is to interpret Scripture all by yourself. I'm, I'm in the closet just reading it myself and studying it and then teaching it that really the healthiest place to study Scripture is in community so that we push back, that we challenge, we ask hard questions. What about that? What about that in light of the whole biblical story? We see this one verse, but if you take a macro, not a micro view of it, does all of Scripture support that point of view? And if not, what are we going to do about that? I also think and I, I've kind of alluded to it, but I think sometimes we just start listening to the people that support our point of view. We only read the people that support our point of view. We only watch the news stations that support our point of view. And so I have a stack of books up here that I've been reading this week. And I, uh, one's called Women in the Church, A Biblical Theology of Women in Ministry. Uh, It's an intervarsity book, which is a respected uh, publisher in terms of the church and Christian faith. Women in the church, if you're serious about really growing in this issue, and like I said, I have friends that we disagree on it, but I think you owe it to yourself to read, to pray, to be in community, to talk about it. How about this book? How I Changed My Mind About Women in Leadership. Compelling stories from prominent evangelicals. Stuart and Jill Briscoe, Tony Campolo, I. Howard Marshall, John and Nancy Ortberg. I mean, just some really prominent names of people that are respected in the church, that are scholars, that are pastors, that are leaders. How I changed my mind. Here's another one uh, Scott Lasea gave to me, it's called Man and Woman One in Christ an exegetical and theological study of Paul's letters. The two passages that we're going to look at that are controversial, this whole book is on those two passages. And this guy set out to prove male headship. The man there's male dominance in the culture and he 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 wrote this book to prove that and you know where he landed? realizing actually there's nothing in Scripture that prohibits a woman from speaking, teaching, preaching, and leading in the church. I actually bought my own copy, so I told you I'd give it back to you. (laughs) Here's another book. This, This is another great one. Women in Ministry, Four Views. Not one view, not my view, four views. So you, you, this, and you got the traditional view, let your women keep silent. You have the male leadership view, the head of the woman is the man. You have the plural ministry view, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And then you have the egalitarian view, there's neither male nor female in Christ, new creation theology. And what I love about this book is, whatever your position is, it's in here, and The response of the other three point of views, there's a rebuttal to it. So you read the argument, and then you get to to listen to the pushback. I know for some of you, you don't want to do that. You just want to be told what to think. If you are a thinker and you want to grow and be stretched, I recommend this book. Then there's one more by Scott McKnight. Uh, he's a biblical scholar out of the Chicago area. I know Scott. And uh, he's written this book that we've done a book club on. It's called The Blue Parakeet. And rethinking, here's the subtitle, rethinking how, the, how you read the Bible. And uh, he uses women in ministry as a case study. The last half of the book is all on the biblical basis and doing the hermeneutic on understanding women in ministry, women in leadership, and... This is a great book, too. So let's close in prayer. You could just go read. No. (laughs) Oh, there's a lot here. So 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you have a Bible, why don't you open it up? 1 Timothy chapter 2. I have up on the screen verses 11 to 14. But I think I'll start at verse 8, just a couple verses ahead of that, if you don't mind. First Timothy, chapter 2, verse 8. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy, in every place of worship. I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God. And, verse 9, I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair. Let me read that again. (laughs) And not draw attention to themselves. And not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair, or by wearing gold or pearls, or expensive clothes. Women, that gold wedding ring you shouldn't bring it into church. Those pearl earrings can't bring them. You got your hair braided? Unbraid it or cut it. Verse 10, for women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Next verse, now we're in verse 11. Women women, should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let or permit women to teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first and after, afterward he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and, was, and sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming that they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. It's just there in black and white. <clears throat> right? So what do we do with that? What do you do with that? If it's just going to be simple, that simple, you're probably going to go to, there's some other prominent churches in town. I don't need to throw them under the bus that teach this. It's black and white. You know, here's the issue, really, the bottom line. Are verses like this, these two passages that we're going to look at, and it's 1 Corinthians 14, I'll read next. Are they culturally conditioned? Written for that time in that place, or are they written these verses for all women at all times in all churches and all places? That's what you and I have to decide. There are really respected biblical scholars, many of whom I've been reading this week, that would say this this 1st Timothy passage that Paul restricted teaching by women. Because, he says, in that setting, there were false teachers that had deceived the women in the church of Ephesus. And it became a problem. So in that culture, he said, in your case, this specific situation, I'm going to limit the women from teaching and speaking. I, Howard Marshall, who I think is at the top of his game in terms of respect in evangelical circles, for being a New Testament scholar, this is what he writes on this passage. He says, this had to be for a special situation where teaching and leadership by women were causing temporary and local problems. Scott McKnight, in his book, Blue Parakeet, here's his comment on this passage. It's a contradiction. When we take one point as a rule, Women cannot preach or lead in the church, yet we treat the other points as cultural. We should make men raise their hands in prayer, and we should not allow women to have braided hair or wear gold or pearls in worship service. Are are you tracking? Are you following? You can't have it both ways is what they're saying. If you're going to adhere to women should be silent, then women should also not wear jewelry in church and shouldn't have their hair braided. And men, whenever we pray, you have to raise your hands. Okay? Let's jump to the next problem passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission. As the law says, if they want to inquire about something... They should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. That's strong language, and that's a problematic passage. It's black and white. It's right there. John Ireland, don't you read your Bible? I have people tell me that. Don't you read your Bible? It's right there in black and white. So what do we do with this? If you are, uh, I would say, a thoughtful Christian, that you want to be stretched a little bit. Some of you have study Bibles. If you take the NIV study Bible, it's a conservative, uh, trustworthy translation. If you look in the notes at the bottom, there are three different possible explanations of this passage. Three. All I'm saying is not one. There's not just one right way to interpret this problematic passage in the New Testament there are three how many of you know the name N.T. Wright N.T. Wright is maybe today considered the, pre, the, the, the most respected scholar in the world here's what he his comments on this passage 1 Corinthians 14 he says this I think I have it on the screen <clears throat> the cultural content I don't know if I do do I No, I guess I don't. I guess I just have it on here, sorry. The cultural context helps us understand what Paul means when he asks women in church services to be silent and to inquire of their husbands at home. N.T. Wright, uh, using and depending on Ken Bailey's research and work, explains that in the ancient Middle East... Men and women sit on separate sides of the church, and the minister speaks in formal or classic Arabic, which the men know, but most of the women do not know since they speak only the local dialect. They get bored, and they talk amongst themselves, getting louder and louder. Finally, the frustrated preacher says, Woman, please be quiet. They turn their volume to a lower whisper, but slowly get louder, and the cycle repeats. And then after the church service, the wives ask their husbands to share what the pastor taught on. This scenario fits Paul's main message in First Corinthians 14, which is urging there to be order, which is what 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 is about, which is urging there to be order, and decency in church worship services. This is the general principle which he applies to the specific situations of disorder in the Corinthian churches, in which there was public speaking in tongues without interpretation, and women in the congregation speaking out of turn during the minister's message. So some of you know There's been a little controversy in the newspaper the last month. A guy named John MacArthur. Some of you know John MacArthur. I actually got to hang out with John MacArthur when I was on staff at Mount Hermon back in the early 80s. He's 80 years old now. He's a very prominent biblical scholar, pastor, speaker, teacher. Well-respected, but has some ultra-conservative points of view. And Beth Moore, some of you know that name, an amazing uh, Bible teacher woman, and they they asked in an interview, they asked John MacArthur what he thought of Beth Moore, and he said she should go home, basically, and stay home. And uh, just this last week, they they asked him to clarify his comments, and I'm just going to read for you what he said. John MacArthur said last week that women are to maintain submission to men in all churches, in all times. Women pastors and women preachers are the most obvious evidence of churches rebelling against the Bible. Women who pastor and women who preach in the church are a disgrace and openly reflect opposition to the clear command of the Word of God. This is flagrant disobedience. Women need to get themselves under control and realize that they are not to speak in a church. When women take over a culture, men become weak. When men become weak, they can be conquered. And when all the men have been slaughtered, you women can sit there with all your jewelry and junk. (laughs) Let's close in prayer now. (laughs) Love everyone always. (laughs) Love everyone always. So here's what I want to do. I got a few minutes. I may not get to everything. I want to say, John MacArthur, he's a brother in Christ. I'm not going, that guy's not a Christian. I disagree with him. I disagree with his position. And and I think that's part of what makes this church unique. You're sitting next to someone that maybe agrees with John MacArthur, loves Jesus, is following Christ in their own conviction as they understand God's word. They have that conviction of male headship, of male dominance, that that's the way God intended it. Just read your Bible. It's in black and white. First Timothy, 1 Corinthians. But what I want to do for a moment here is kind of take a, a spiritual panorama, macro view of Scripture. From creation to new creation. It's, 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 it's really thinking about the Bible from a theological point of view. So number one, I want us to think about God's original intent in creation. You got to go back to Genesis chapter 1. So what was God's original intent? It's that we are all men and women are image bearers, made in the image of God. Let me read for us Genesis 1. And then God said, "Let us make Some translations say man, but the Hebrew word is human beings, both men and women. So, let God said, "Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign, they will reign. Not he will reign." they together will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals, the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And then God blessed Him. No, He blessed them. And He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and... So let me read for you some of John Ortberg, who I really respect. Here's his take on this. The passage is careful to say that God gives both the man and the woman responsibility to rule over the earth. There is no hint of any division of responsibilities. He does not say that the man is to have authority over the woman, but that they are both to rule the earth. Male dominance appears in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, after that selfish act. It impacted humans' relationship with God, but also man and woman's relationship. It's after the fall. Sin damaged all relationships, and here's what well, in fact, it says, in uh, Genesis 3:16 I don't know if I have it, but it talks about women, there, there's a curse that's been placed on the earth, right? If you go back and you read it, and, and, and what's the impact of the curse? When women will experience pain during childbirth, and the husband will rule over his wife. That's part of the curse. Here's what Ortberg says. One gender holding power over the other was not God's plan at the beginning of creation. It's clearly part of the curse, and the curse is not a good thing. How come no one's arguing that a woman should refrain from Lamaze classes or getting an epidural if God's will is that women should suffer pain in childbirth? But we don't argue about that. We argue about men ruling over a woman. Are you following me? Some of you are saying, but what about Genesis 2? What about Genesis 2? That's before the curse. All right, let's look at Genesis 2, verse 18. The Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper, a helper suitable for him. So the biblical interpretation of helper, we need to understand what that means. No, we don't. It's there in black and white. The Lord God said it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so many of us have been taught or assumed that God made woman to be a kind of junior assistant For the man. You know, man has a lot to do. He can't get it all done by himself. So God gave him a woman to help him get his chores done. You know, someone who could, he could delegate some stuff to. Somebody lower down in the org chart. You know, who could go get his coffee for him while he subdues the earth. (laughs) The Hebrew word ezer. That's the word helper. It's used 20 times. It's never, ever used as subservient or subordinate. In fact, 17 of the 20 times that Hebrew word helper is used, it's used for God. God as our helper. Do you see God as subservient to you? Is God subordinate to you? Is he under you? Are you ruling over God? The three other times that that Hebrew word is used is for military allies helping us, helping Israel. Does that make sense? Are you following me? But it's in black and white. Read your Bible. Sometimes it's dangerous to read your Bible in black and white. And that's why we read it in community. That's why we have to be teachable and open to feedback and pushback and say, wait, what about... It's okay to say, hey, wait, what about? Don't ever be part of a church where you're not allowed to push back, where you're not allowed to ask questions. You're just supposed to do what I tell you to do. That's dangerous. That's how cults start. You have to push back. You have to ask in a a humble, godly way, seeking where's God's heart on this issue. Well, let's keep going. Grace notes of women in leadership, In the Old Testament, there's Miriam, Huldah, Deborah. Let me read for you again in this book, How I Changed My Mind. I thought this was just a great little comment. Miriam is called a prophet in Exodus 15. In Numbers 12, it's indicated that she is one through whom the Lord spoke. Huldah was another woman through whom God brought renewal, when Israel was at a spiritual crisis point and needed an authoritative word. Why would God have a king go to a woman for authoritative spiritual instruction? Or even more striking is the example of Deborah. Judges were the authoritative figures in Israel, exercising political, judicial, and spiritual leadership. Deborah was the highest leader of Israel. Though she was married, she, not her husband, was chosen by God to lead his people. What nation was her husband a part of? Israel. So if she was leading Israel, who is one of the people she was leading? Say it out loud her husband. If God was opposed to women in leadership, why would he do such a thing? What is surprising is that Deborah was chosen as a leader because no man was spiritually mature enough to step up to the plate. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. (laughs) All right. I got to keep us going here. Next. And we're we're taking a macro look. So we've looked at God's original intent, image bearers, Genesis 1. We've looked at done a word study of the word helper, easer, never used for subordinate or subservient. It's used for God as our helper. Number uh, three, women in leadership in the Old Testament. Number four is the ministry of Jesus. Read your Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just read it. And pay attention to how Jesus treats women. How Jesus thinks about women, how Jesus talks to women, how Jesus risks his own reputation to have women around him. He clearly rejected the prejudice against women that was so widespread in his day. Women were irrelevant, insignificant in Jesus' day. You know this, but, but a woman in the first century, in a court of law, her word was useless. Her word didn't count. Only a man's word counted in the court of law. So why, when Jesus died and rose again, who, who, who were the first people at the tomb that Jesus appeared to? Women. And what did he tell the women? Go tell the men. Why would you do that? A woman's word doesn't count. People aren't going to believe it. He appeared to women first. And he said, go tell the men. Read the Gospels and notice how Jesus treats women. Because followers of Jesus, what? Follow Jesus. Number five, you know, we often demonize Paul because Paul's the one who wrote 1 Timothy and Paul's the one who wrote 1 Corinthians, these controversial passages. But if you look at ministry leaders, Paul was surrounded by women and affirmed them. Priscilla, Phoebe, Euodias and Tike, Lois and Eunice. But let me just point out Romans chapter 6, verse 16, verse 7. Romans 16, verse 7. Paul writes this at the end of his book to the Romans. Greet Andronicus and who? Junia. My fellow Jews who were in prison with me, they are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. So what's, you know, when I, when I was in college and in my 20s, Junia, I mean, you read those two names, Andronicus and Junia, okay, whatever. They must be men. In that first century culture, the research shows that there were no men named Junia. That's a female name. The earliest manuscripts that we have of the book of Romans, all the earliest manuscripts say Junia. The later manuscripts that we have, guess what they say? Junius. There's an S added. Junius is a man's name. And so part of the argument is, no, 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 it says Junius. Well, not the earliest manuscripts. I wonder who changed those manuscripts. I'm guessing it wasn't a woman. (laughs) Junia was a common Latin woman's name in Paul's day. You wouldn't know that by, just read your Bible. It's right there in black and white. Don't you preach the word there? And then here's my final thought. Well, I got a lot to say, but... (laughs) You know, what about gifts of the Spirit? Same Paul. 1 Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians. He never indicates that some gifts are for men and other for women. He teaches that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to every Jesus follower, regardless of race, economic status, or gender. He never distinguishes between male gifts and female gifts. And so let me close with a Scott McKnight quote. Remember how I said we're going to take a panoramic view, creation to new creation? This is what he says. He says, the good news of the bible is that the fall eventually gives way to new creation. The fallen can be reborn and recreated. So again, going back to he says the fall turned the woman turned the woman to seek dominance over the man and the fall turned the man to seek dominance over the woman. A life of struggling for control is the way of life for the fallen after the fall. But the good news is the fall eventually gives way to new creation and the fallen can be reborn and recreated. Sadly, the church has far too often perpetuated the fall as a permanent condition when it comes to male and female relationships. This is against both Paul and Jesus, who each read the Bible as a story that moves from creation to new creation. And so what's new creation? Paul talks about it. Anybody who is in Christ is a new creation. Paul writes in Galatians 3.28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So when Jesus died on the cross for our sin. We can be born anew. We can be made into a new person, a new creation. And now, life in new creation, after Jesus comes into our lives, is we now begin to embrace each other as God intended in Genesis 1. Does that make sense? Are you following me? God's original intent and Jesus' prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's, What's... what's God's heaven intent? It's not male dominance. It's man and women together ruling the earth, together, that equality there, not one over the other. And now in Christ, followers of Jesus that follow Jesus, that's how we live, and that's how we treat each other. So I'm going to close. I'm going to take a risk today. When I, when I wrote this sermon this week and read all, these, all of this, I just thought it might be for one person in the room. And I'm okay with that. I'm just wondering if there's somebody here that was raised in a male-dominant home and raised in a church. There you were told you don't get a voice at the table. You'll never be a leader in the church. Don't even think about teaching the Bible to men. You can can work in the nursery. You can do Sunday school for kids, but don't ever think about getting up here. I'm wondering if there's somebody in this auditorium this morning that has felt held back. But in your spirit, you feel called. In your spirit, you're going, God has given me some gifts. But my whole life, I've been pushed down. I've been told, no, that's not in the cards for you. Just submit, just be quiet, just shut up, don't be a problem. I don't know, I'm just wondering if there's one person in this audience today that maybe today is the day you're going to look back and say, that was the moment that God confirmed my call into ministry. I wonder if we have anybody here this morning that is on our staff that's in ministry do we have any, anybody here that's ever a woman that's taught from this platform? I want you to stand up. I just want you to stand up where you are. June, you're in here. Stand up. Renee's in here. Stand up. Jamie is in here. Stand up. There's others in here. Stand up. Now, I want you to know right here, I have learned God has grown my faith. Right here, these three women, have, had, have your fingerprints are on my spiritual life. I want you to know that, and I thank you for that. Now, I'm wondering, I want you to stay standing. Don't I? I, want, I want you to stay standing. <laughs> if you're a woman in this audience and you think maybe God is calling me, I believe God maybe has gifted me, but I've been, I want you to stand up. Is there, are there any women in here that are going, I, I talked to one woman this week that said that. That said, that, that, that's me. It takes a lot of courage. We want to pray for you. We, we, want, we want to affirm you. There, is there any woman in here this morning that would say, I, I might be that one? Not one of you, huh? Not one. Yeah? Ruth, right here. She can't stand up, but can we pray over her? Heck Yeah. Are there any women in here that think, I I could never, I've been taught I could never be on the board, the board of elders, the church leadership team. If you've been on the leadership team in this church, I want you to stand up, and you're a female. Stand up. Stand up. Look around. Folks, I believe this is biblical. This isn't John Ireland being rebellious. This isn't John Ireland becoming a feminist. I know some of you are like, oh, friggin' liberal feminist right now, man. (laughs) That's not it. The whole Bible, not just two verses, the whole Bible. All right, you can sit down. Let's close in prayer. Have the band come up. Would you open your palms? as a sign of being open to God, maybe doing something different in your heart this morning, maybe making a shift. And it's okay to disagree. It is. Lord, today, I just sense that there are some younger women in this place that know, that sense your spirit stirring nudging calling them to serve the the local church the broader church to speak i think of lori short and the impact she's had all over this country we thank you for her today Thank you for these women that have led this church, that have been chair of our leadership team, that have served on the board, that have spoken from this platform. Thank you for their courage. Thank you for the insights. Thank you for the ways that they've listened to your voice and instructed us and taught us, not, not with arrogance, but in humility. And today, Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would be unleashed, that today change would be broken off of of those that, that, that maybe have felt held back. And Lord, I pray for the men in this room, including myself, those of us that, that have sisters and wives and daughters, and those of us that, that maybe have communicated a word that would uh, prohibit them from becoming all that you want them to become. I I pray that men all over this auditorium would speak a word of encouragement to the women in their lives, that they would call out and call up the gifts of those women in their lives when they see it, that they'd call them and encourage them to use those gifts of leadership, of speaking and teaching. Lord, that you'd radically transform the faith community in Santa Barbara because we are all image bearers, and we're not living under the false curse. We're living under the radical transformation of the new creation, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for every one of us so that we can live the new life. We lean into that today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Let's stand up together and sing. Before you re-enter your day, we hope that you will take just a few moments to pause and respond to what God has put on your heart through this message. Thank you again for listening to the Ocean Hills podcast. For access to more sermons, visit the watch and listen page on oceanhills.org or find them on the Ocean Hills app.